Hello and welcome back to the Soccer Brothers Podcast. This is episode number 18. I'm your host, Hawk Atar, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Nihal. How you doing, Nihal? Reunited and it feels so good. We just had an episode, like, less than a week ago. Yeah, but I was at Ohio State. Now I'm back in Toledo for this Labor Day weekend. I apologize about my singing. Listen, please listen to this podcast. (laughs) It's it's very, it's good. It's a good podcast. It's a good episode. Yeah, today we had a guest. I can't believe I just did that. Neither can I. (laughs) So we had a guest. uh, His name is Peter McPartland, and uh, he does a lot of things, but I want to just go through the list. He's the host of The Blue Room, which is a show on English radio in Liverpool, and he also does a podcast called The Fallotonians Podcast. Both those things are Everton shows, and he has another Everton thing, which is a YouTube channel on YouTube, <laughs> which is called Toffee TV, and he has another YouTube channel called The MLS Show, so it's nice to see some Europeans caring about MLS. Yeah, I mean, he you know he does a great job of promoting uh, MLS in England. Um, he also, you know, he's interviewed some of the biggest names in soccer, including Landon Donovan, Roberto Martinez, Duncan Ferguson, who's an Everton legend. So, you know, he's he's very, very qualified, and he provided some really, really interesting insight and outside perspective on MLS. An outside perspective on MLS um, from someone who actually likes the league, you know, not someone who's necessarily criticizing it uh, because of perception, based on perception. So it was a very interesting discussion. We talked about Everton, the Premier League, MLS, uh, U.S. national team, and CONCACAF, actually, that came up. So uh, it was a, it was a very, very good conversation. But... We got to talk about some other stuff before we uh, get into that interview. Yeah, so on Friday night, the U.S. men's national team beat Peru 2-1 to one in Washington, D.C., thanks to an Altidore brace. Uh, so I would say that we looked a lot stronger in the second half than the first oh, half. What'd the you first think? half was terrible. Yeah. I, that was, it looked like our, our match against Panama again. Um, but, you know, we had 41% possession. In the second half, uh, we opened up... Um, you know, we, we were, our passes were crisper. Jermaine Jones was very, very good. I thought Brad Guzan was good. Zardes was probably my man of the match. Probably the best performance um, in a U.S. national team shirt to date. Josie was obviously good. He had two goals. It's nice to see him score. Uh, Bobby Wood was all right. I thought Omar Gonzalez wasn't good. And, you know, Matt Beasler. I, that's, Matt Beasler should be a starter on this team. Um, I, really, I really would like to see Beasler... And Brooks. I know they're both left-footed, but I think those are our two best center backs right now. Yeah. Um, or Jeff Cameron, Beasler and Cameron, I guess. So Cameron's good, but we probably need him at fullback because so we have. So let me ask left. you a question, and this is kind of unrelated to what you're talking about, but still, it's about the U.S. lineup. So, do you think Yedlin is done with fullback for the U.S. national team? Uh, I, I mean, for the next month, yeah. For for Mexico, yeah. We'll see where he plays at Sunderland. Um, apparently, they view him as both a winger and a fullback, which is good for him. Um, but I think on the site, he's listed as a defender. So mm-hmm. I, I, we'll see where he plays. And I, I think if he is able to hone his defensive skills in a relegation battle with Sunderland, he can be a really good fullback. But um, also, I thought he was good on the wing because I, his ball skills are developing. You know, that he just looks like a much more dangerous player before. He, he was good at fullback because he could overlap with his speed. Now he can make stuff happen from mm. the wing. So um, I think for the foreseeable future, yeah, he's done. But you you might want to play him there just because of injuries. Um, but I think our fullbacks, if Fabian Johnson is healthy, uh, will be either Cameron and Johnson or Johnson and Ream for the Mexico match. Uh, there's also roster additions. So... 
for, yeah. for the Brazil match tomorrow. Uh, I, we'll Mike, talk about Michael that. Brad, Michael Bradley, right? Yeah, Bradley, uh, Morris, and someone else. I we'll, we'll talk about it after. Okay, yeah, yeah. Sorry. We'll talk about <laughs> it after. Sure that. Yeah. Um. So uh, I'm not going to ask you too much about October, but or the the. Uh, Confederations Cup qualifier. I'm not going to ask you too much about that, but do you think that we're going to see the same front line, or do you, do you think we're going to see Johansson up top? Johansson, yeah. I think I think Wood Wood was uh, Wood played first of all because we haven't seen him since May or early June. Sorry, um, and Johansson didn't play because he's not 100 percent fit. But isn't it kind of like? I mean, I feel like you should just get that like partnership to know each other. I mean, only well, two he games made a difference, the... right? He made a difference in the second half. So yeah, but it's not about I the result. He... I mean. Right, but I think Jurgen was calculated in that Johansson's not necessarily 100% fit. Uh, so I think playing him for a little bit in this match and then maybe starting him against Brazil might be more beneficial for us going forward. Um, and also, I, I just want to put this out there that Peru's a good team. They finished third place um, in the Copa America. Obviously, friendlies don't mean much, but uh, it was encouraging to see a good second-half performance. Uh, and you know, good good to see the U.S. win because the first half was terrible. Yeah, yeah. I, I still, you know, we talk about this a little bit with Peter, um, but I, I I really don't know why a more creative player like Phil Haber or Win or Finley or Letjet hasn't been called in. This is the time to try him out. You know, I like Andrew Rutten. He should have been called up, but you got to try these more creative players out. And if you bring in some of those players, you can move Yedlin to fullback, which. You know, is Orozco Fiscal really the answer at fullback? I mean, he was okay. No. I mean, Jeff Cameron's a good player, but he's a center back. So, I... I, I don't know. Uh, hopefully, Fabian's, hopefully, Fabian is healthy uh, come October 10th. Yeah. A lot of questions regarding that game. We'll talk more about it. Uh, and Brazil after that game. So, that's on Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday, 8 o'clock on ESPN2. USMNT takes on Brazil. <laughs> Um, they have their players. They have Hulk, Neymar. Uh, it doesn't seem like Neymar will start, but the, you know they have their players. Um, Do you have a prediction? Kaká's. Yeah, I'm sure Kaká will play. Uh, I'm gonna say one-one. I'm gonna be an optimist. I'm gonna say we lose three-one. Last time we played, we lost four-one. I think uh, Hercules Gomez scored. I think that was either in 2012 or 20. Yeah, I think 20, 2013. Actually, it was 2012 or 2013. I. Okay. I it was 2012, because it was a year before the Gold Cup, because um, we played Germany before. I remember that, yeah. yeah. So, uh, I actually, yeah, we'll probably lose, but I'm going to go 1-1. One, one. I'm going to say Johansson and Kaká score. So, Mexico played their first game since the firing of Miguel Herrera. Their new coach, Ricardo Ferretti, uh, made, his, Tuca. Tuca made his debut in this game with a 3-3 draw against Trinidad and Tobago. Hector Herrera managed to keep it level in the 85th minute. Yeah, managed to score the equalizer, that is. Um, he, well, that was an amazing goal, incredible goal. Um, if you haven't seen it, go look it up. Um, but, you know, Mexico dominated the match. Um, I mean, they didn't look great, but they had 70% of the possession. They had 25 shots, 11 on target. Um, but at the same time, some of the players, like, there's just so much inconsistency with this team. Dos Santos didn't play. Guardado didn't start, who's the best player in the Gold Cup. Chicharito didn't play. Um, probably because he's sorting out his club situation. I mean, he's on the roster. He was on the bench, but he didn't play. Uh, so there's just so much inconsistency with this team. It's hard. We should. W- the U.S. should win. 
because that's the third. That's that'll be the third match of uh, for Tuca's uh, tenure. That being said, they're a very talented team. You know, Trinidad's a good team, but uh, I mean, I, I, there's just so much inconsistency. They're they're kind of a mess right now. Even though they they won the Gold Cup, being a mess because of the refs. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I I won't be surprised if we actually I take that back I won't we're a mess too the U S is a mess too so I, I I I just think they need some consistency hopefully Ferretti can be the coach hopefully for their sake uh, Ferretti can be the coach throughout the cycle because they they need it they need the same players they they need to they need to build something and go into the qualifiers as a strong united team this time. Mm-hmm. All right, so why don't we get into the interview with Peter? Hello, I'd like to welcome our guest. His name is Peter McPartland. Obviously, I talked about his background earlier in this podcast, so why don't we get right into the interview? All right, uh, how are you doing, Peter? I'm okay. How are you guys? Good, good. Uh, All right, so let's get right into it. Um, Why don't we talk about the Premier League first? You know, we've seen a lot of, uh, you know, different results, I'd say. A lot of teams like Leicester, Crystal Palace, and Swansea taking down some of the bigger teams in the league. Uh, do you think uh, those smaller teams will be able to sustain uh, this type of progress and these results, or um, is it just something that's going to happen at the be- beginning of the season and we'll see the same top four? I think it's something that happens every season. There's always one or two teams. I think that will always you know, make a nuisance itself in the first few weeks. I mean, at the end of the day, it's only four games gone, and uh, a lot of the teams may have played teams that are weaker than them or around them, and you know, until we get to October, November, December time, we're really not going to know the makeup of, the, of of what the Premier League is. Really, I mean, really, we shouldn't even be, we shouldn't really consider what the Premier League is till everybody plays each other at least once. So, um, you know, you get you got a lot of teams who have that sort of summer bump. They've just signed a few new players, and while the while the weather's nice, and uh, we used to say when the pitches were good, but the pitches stay pretty good all year <laughs> round now. But they they all get that, you know, that. That good feeling at the beginning of the season. Every team feels like they can achieve something, and most teams have fit squads to call from as well. So, I think um, the only difference maybe this season is because there's so much money floating around in the Premier League at the moment that it might be a few more teams. You know, last season it was like Southampton hung around, um, uh, uh, and this season it might be a case that um, the likes of Crystal Palace and Swansea. Um, maybe West Ham they hang around for a little bit longer, but I think what you're going to find is, you know, cream rises to the top, and it's not even cream anymore. It's money, to be, to be honest. Um, it, the money does really play a part, and those teams that can go out and, and spend a lot of money, not just on the first team, but but on the squad. I mean, it is a squad game now, and that's where these other teams will suffer. We've seen Southampton last year; they look great for the first part of the year, but once you get past the Christmas and you get get into you know the dog days January February and that you know you, you lose two or three players that that makes a massive difference to these teams once the fatigue sets in as well of not being able to rotate your squad you know you you, you will find that most teams um, will will average out to where they should be but you know let's hope that three or four teams do surprises this season and, and mix it up in the Premier League yeah so has Manchester City already won I mean they have 12 points through four games and Chelsea and Arsenal don't look to be in the top. I, I think Arsenal's at ninth right now. I could be wrong, but and Chelsea's in the bottom half. So, do you, has City already won the title? Um, well, yeah, as you say, I think Chelsea are thirteenth and um, Arsenal actually sixth at the moment. Six. But 
I wouldn't really worry too much about those league positions. I think what I would say about Manchester City though is they've come out they've come out flying and they have a squad. Yeah. You know they've gone they've gone out and won the first four games and then gone and spent fifty three million pounds on Kevin De Bruyne. So <laughs> that 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 shows you what what they they're looking for. They're looking for a sustained run in the Premier League, a sustained run in the Champions League, and they they want it all. And they are a club that don't really care too much about money. Let's be honest. I mean, yeah. last season they were hampered by FFP, but those rules seem to have been relaxed this season. So they they kind of uh, they can essentially go out and pay an extra five million pounds for a player if they want that player. So they they look they look really really good. They look hungry. They look up for it. Players like Yaya Torre who who were uh, who who look so um, distracted last season looked like a player who really wanted to leave and have and go to and go to um, other clubs around Europe. They they look like now they are. They have they have settled back in and, and they are part of the group. They give Pellegrino a, a new contract, which has settled him down as as the manager and closed all kinds of talk of him leaving. And really now, I mean, you look around Europe and you look at players that players from Manchester City could be linked with, and there's not many clubs they could go to. You've got Barcelona and Real Madrid, obviously, and then you've got maybe Bayern Munich in um, in Germany and maybe a Paris Saint Germain financially who could match them. But there isn't anyone else that you right. could really say now. Well, that's a bigger move, or that's a career step up. I mean, there's certainly no one in 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 Italy where they could go. There's, as I mentioned, apart from Barcelona and Real Madrid, there's no one in Spain, you know, and Bayern Munich. So unless they actually stay in England, I I, I don't see any, them losing anyone. So they at the moment look fantastic, and they are looking to do what Chelsea did last year and just steamroll the Premier League, try and get it won. Um, Early trying to establish such a gap. I mean, it's already I think eight points on Chelsea. We can imagine right. would be their their closest team. That's huge. That's 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 a huge gap. So early in the season, if they continue to win the games, then um, obviously they will. That gap will remain. You know, yeah. and, and I, I can't see. I I think the only people who can stop Manchester City are Manchester City. Basically, right. I think. The only way they can throw, they can stop themselves from winning the league is um, in fighting or um, the, the manager not being able to get the right balance because he does have so many good players and it would be a case of when he needs to rotate those players, does he get that right when he, when he, when he does that? Um, Champions League, when that starts kicking in and we have those extra games as well, it's going from that Wednesday, Tuesday... Wednesday, Sunday, whatever kind of thing. That's 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 gonna that's gonna really you know that's gonna be the difference for me. Um, but I, I think they've got everything to, to go and win the league. Yeah, I mean, what's really surprised me is how well uh, Mangala and company have played back there. I mean, Odomendi hasn't even played yet. So I mean, if if their defense is playing and like you said, Yaya Torre is back to form, it, it's hard seeing anyone stopping them. Uh, do you think this is this is the year that they can make a deep run into the Champions League then? I think so. I think they've. I think they've got to. I think that's the difference. It's not a case of having to. I think they've got to. I think they've got to get themselves uh, recognised as a top European team because I think for so long now they have been almost the uh, they've been perennial four guys in Europe because they've done, because I don't and I just don't think that they are seen 
as a Champions League team, and I think right. that's amongst their own fans. I mean, their, their own fans are, are, are very self-deprecating. You know, they have been for so long. They they have been a team that has um, bounced around England and and uh, have gone down divisions. And and I think also there's that belief that because they've had such so many problems that it's almost like when is the bubble going to burst for us? It's going to burst sometimes. I think a lot of the fans don't believe that it will continue forever and I think they've got to get over that I think they've got to start realising that they are a big team I mean you've seen it in Europe in the last few years they don't really sell out in Europe um, because I just don't think their fans quite believe that they are a European champions team I think they've got to start recognising that amongst themselves get that off that little chip off their own shoulders and I think that they can do well you know we've, we've seen them last season they did quite well against you know Roma and Bayern Munich and I think I think if they start believing they're a Champions League team, then they will be a Champions League team. And buying Champions League caliber players really helps that. You know, going out there and spending vast amounts of money on real talent helps that. So I think they can do well this year. I don't think they're good enough to win it. I don't not quite sure they're good enough to be semi finalists. But I think they've got to take that step and become you know quarter finalists year in year out. And and then the the, the belief will grow. And I think. Manchester City will win the Champions League. I mean, you know, you've seen Chelsea when they won it a few years back. No one would have ever thought Chelsea would become champions of, of Europe. But right. they did it, and they recognise now as one of the best teams across Europe. And I think Manchester City have got to do that for their own identity more than anything else. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've been a little bit unlucky in the groups they've been drawn into mm-hmm. for the past few years. So Even last year in the round of 16, once they made it out of the group, Barcelona, yeah, tricky. I mean, so, um, so, you know, we've seen smaller teams... Um, or teams with less money like Everton and West Brom hold on to some of their star players like John Stones and uh, Saito Berahino. Do you think that's going to, going to become a trend, or is it just a case of these teams know, or with West Brom, these teams know that money's coming in with the TV deal next year, uh, so it's more important for them to hold on to the player for now? Or do you think for, you know, for the foreseeable future we'll see some of these other teams hold on to their best talent? I, I think... I think um... Obviously, money's a big factor. Money is increasingly flowing into the Premier League. And clubs not only can keep players because they've got money themselves, but they see the value of their player now. And, and especially if they're English, you know, they, they know that the, val- the va- value of that player is, is so much more. So they don't need to sell if, if the offer isn't there. They don't need to be pushed into that by the player. They don't need to be pushed into it by a, a, a so-called bigger club for us. We don't even see Chelsea as a bigger club. We just see them as a richer club. It's as simple as that. Um, you know, we, we, we Everton, uh, uh, you know, from our own situation, we look at John Stones as a player that vastly improves our team. So why right. would we want to sell them? Um, there's, there's nothing we could really do with that money that could make our defence any better. We, we, we couldn't go and spend that money on the kind of talent that is good enough, right. as good as John Stones. So. It's really pointless for a team like Everton going just selling at this junction. So, um, but that, but that's definitely the case that there is that much money about that. You will find this more and more that a, a, if a player gets a star player, if a club gets a star player, sorry, they will wait. Like I said before about Manchester City, they will wait till the club come in with an offer that is five million. Pounds, ten million pounds more than the players worth. Maybe a lot. A lot of people will probably sit there and think, well, thirty-five million pounds is maybe what ten million more than John Stones is worth. But 
what you will be buying when you buy young English talent as a player who will be around for 10, 10 years. So okay. you are buying um, ten. You're buying effectively their their career for that kind of money. So I expect to see it more and more. That will probably mean that we will continue to go into Europe and around the world to buy more and more players, which um, doesn't really help the national team. But you know, who cares? <laughs> I don't. I don't care about the national team. So I don't care about what my team does really. So um, yeah, I'm I'm happy to keep all of our players. There isn't there isn't. There's never ever been a point in my mind where I've said. Show me forty million, and I'll sell you John Stones. My, right. For me, it's always been, don't sell John Stones. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. Especially since you know Everton lost two centre backs uh, after last year, anyway. So I mean, they really, they really could not sell him, especially this late in the window. Um, so uh, speaking about Everton, um, you know, there's sort of been a discontent with the board, and uh, you know. Their, their, their movement is, you know, uh, growing. Um, so I was wondering if you could break that down a little bit, and do you think that discontent's justified? Uh, well, I mean, the discontent is, it's not it's not a short-term thing, and going back to what we were talking about with John Stones, you know, selling John Stones would have, um, would have, would have made that a lot more, because if you're a club who keeps saying that they have, they have money and they don't need to sell, and then they sold then that would show a lot, not only a lack of ambition, but that would that would play into all the fears um, and all the conspiracy theories uh, surrounding this. I think what you've got to remember is that if you if you if you look at Everton as a club from the outside and you see teams like Stoke and West Brom and Crystal Palace paying ten million, fifteen million, twenty million pounds for players, then you look at a club like Everton who are still the fourth most successful club right. in England. And you and you start asking yourself the question, look at look at all these clubs with their new grounds, new stadiums, new, uh, you know, and you look at Everton, you see that they have Goodison Park, which they've played in for over 100 years, and, you know, it's very a traditional old-fashioned club. And you start asking those questions, you, you start asking why, 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 um, why have the club not been able to attract investment? Why have the club not been able to move after two failed um, ground moves, what 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 is going on? And a lot of people are asking that question. A lot of people are asking with all the money flooding into Ever into the Premier League, why can't Everton compete? You know, and and that 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 seriously worries people. And it's not as I say, it's not a short term thing. Right. This is there's always been money flowing into the Premier League, just on different scales. And Everton have never been able to consistently. Do anything with it, you know. Every time Everton seem like they're going to go somewhere, they sell a player, they lose a player, a player wants to move. They never build on the success of, you know, Everton. When Everton finished fourth, they never really built on that. They never qualified for the Champions League. You know, a couple of years ago when we nearly got back into the Champions League, we never really built on that. Yes, we went out, we we kept hold of Romelu Lukaku and we kept hold of Gareth Barry, but we never built on top of that. And that that seems to be the problem. And when people have delved deeper into the financial records and um, mm-hmm. they, d- they don't like what they see basically they don't they don't like um, you know people have gone out there and found that Everton are loaning money and they don't right. they don't quite understand why Everton don't have their own money um, to to compete and, and there's also you've also got to remember that there's a, there's a frustration Everton fans of a certain generation you know see Everton competing for 
for the, for the league title for in Europe for FA Cups, and when they see the fact that Everton haven't won a trophy for twenty years, that that really hurts. Right. That really hurts. This is the longest period in Everton's history where Everton haven't won anything, um, and we we regard ourselves as a big club, and it's it's hard for people to understand that. I think looking on, from the outside in, because a lot of people who've who've come into football on the back of the Premier League, especially if you're overseas, or even just the generation in this country, they don't recognise Everton right. as being one of the bigger league clubs. But, you know, we, we were one of the big five that helped create the Premier League, and we've reaped nothing from it. And we've watched other teams with their with their forward-looking boards, forward-looking chairmans, forward-looking chief executives reap the rewards of having new stadium corporate facilities um, all those things that help generate those extra monies into your club whether it just be um, you know tourist fans the fan that will just come for that day we don't we don't reap any of those rewards and it's seen as fall, falling behind and further behind and further behind uh, and that's 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 a scary notion for fans and it, it hasn't really got any better so that's where the general feeling comes from it comes from that we have fallen behind and we are continuing to fall behind. And we are one of the great clubs exactly. of football. Exactly. And never forget. People should never forget that. Yeah, exactly. You know, they have nine first division titles. Um, you know, it was, it was only 30 years ago when Everton were one of the best teams in Europe and might well have won a European championship if it wasn't for the English club band. So, I mean, Everton are, are a big club. It's something I argue with people all the time over here who say, who say you know, Spurs are a bigger club than Everton. Um, I mean, it, it, it's not. They have more money right now, but it just—it's not true. So, I mean, so you, you do think that um, you, you obviously understand where that discontent's coming from. It's sort of been yeah. like no, no, no really growth in the last twenty years. Um, so, with that in mind, do you think um, do you think Everton had a successful transfer window? Uh, do you think holding onto Stones constitutes a successful transfer window? Um, obviously, Everton were linked with. Uh, many different players, including Yarmolenko and Bernard, um, but really only brought in cleverly. Uh, they also brought in Lennon and De La Feu, but um, do you think they had a successful window, or was it disappointing in your eyes? Um, what I would say is keeping hold of players can never be seen as a successful transfer window. <laughs> and I think if anyone uses that line, I, I think they they... Mis- again, misinterpret what it is to be an Evertonian and what right. what 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 the standards should be to be an Evertonian because that's what it's all about. It's about standards, and if people, if some, if one person's standard um, is to keep hold of players, then the club will never really go anywhere, um, and that's that's half the problem. I think convincing those people, but it should never be because you know there's a saying in football: if you stand still. You know, you move you, you move backwards, basically. You know, it's the same thing because while you're standing still, everyone else is buying plays and getting better than you. I think um, I think Cleverly has been a really good buy. Yeah. I mean, we're going to be without him for the best part of two months now because he's injured. Mm-hmm. That's really disappointing because he he is slotted in really really well. Yeah. Um, I mean, two years ago when this guy was at Everton we, we were thinking you know this guy's going to have an amazing career at Barcelona we're never going to be able to keep this guy and we've got him back and and I think as he gets older and as he grows and as he learns more about more more about football and that football's just not about like dribbling and taking people on and you know you have to do a little bit of defending now and again I think if he if he becomes 
if he learns all those things, he could become a, an absolute top class player. Um, Aaron Lennon, we've brought in, I think, is a solid buy. He had a really good second half of the season last season when he was on loan. So I think the squad, I think the squad has got better. I think it's got bigger. And you know, you look before you mentioned we lost a couple of centre backs, and we've managed to bring um, uh, Funes Mare in from River Plate to. Right. Um, I, I've not seen anything of them, so I can't really give any kind of idea about them. And, right. um, but but he is someone who's been brought in. Uh, we have brought the likes of Browning through from the youth team. We have from the reserve team on the twenty one team. We've brought Galloway through. Um, from the, so so gaps have been filled up with by U twenty one players as well. But what I would say is the player who. Roberto Martinez has identified, or the type of player Roberto Martinez identified was a number ten, a a player who played between the lines, a player who played off Ronald Lukaku and between the midfield. That's who he identified. That's who he publicly said he wanted, and he didn't get one. You know, you mentioned the Yarmolenko. Uh, my personal favourite would have been Nelito from. Um, yeah. From and I, I told Roberto Martinez to his face in an interview. That I, you know, he said he wanted number ten. I went his name's Nelito. Go by. Uh, he just he just laughed. Um, but but he he was a player I would have liked. Um, but apart from Yamalenko, we were never really linked with anyone else. Now the club did try and buy Yamalenko, and I think it wasn't for the want of trying. It was because Kiev made it so difficult yeah. to buy him. And I think I think um, someone's going to have to get that guy out with a tank. From from Kiev, I think um, I think that's that's how much they want to keep him there. So that that's the big failure because I think if we had managed to get a real top class number ten, I think rather than scrambling around eighth, ninth, tenth, seventh, whatever, we would be back pushing for that top four because I don't I don't see that much between Everton and Spurs. I don't see that much between Everton and Liverpool. The gap between. Arsenal is it's big but it's a gap that could be closed with a couple of signings right. so, you know and, and um, I just think that would have been the sign that would have done it for us so I, I don't think it was a terrible one as you say we, we're squad wise we've kept who we wanted to keep and we've added and the squad looks bigger and it looks better and it's just that one failing. And that's only because Roberto Martinez identified that play and publicly said he wanted it. Right. Maybe we hadn't said that, we'd all be here just smiling and being really <laughs> happy. But he was the player we wanted. And um, yeah, I, I, I think it's been okay, but, but, it, but it could have been better. Yeah, I th- recently they were linked with Gorkouf, who's a free agent. But uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know what the status is. That's, that's obviously just a rumor. Um, yeah, it, I, think, it, I, think, I think the fact that he's a free agent and he sort of fits the bill. Yeah. Means that it's like you know people put two and two together and get five. I think he's actually <laughs> signing for some. I think he's actually signing for someone in France this week. Yeah, that's so what I, think, I heard. I think, yeah. that, I think that'll put it to bed. Yeah. Um, so do you think? Uh, I mean, we're talking a lot about Everton, but do you think with the signing of Lennon that either De La Feu or uh, Morales can can slide into that number ten role and uh, move Barkley back into a deeper position, or do you think we'll continue playing with two strikers or? I mean, I don't even or Barkley uh, off of Lukaku. It, 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 that's probably the the biggest question that no one really knows. When when actually when Lennon played last season, he actually did play in a, in a sort of more central role. Yeah. He didn't 
didn't you know hug the touchline. He didn't play really out wide at times. He did creep in, and that allowed a lot more space for Seamus Coleman to get further forward, um, and that really worked. So that might be that might be how he uses him, and that obviously um, allows more space in, in midfield for other players as well. It's going to be a really interesting one because you know he does have a lot of players now. He, you know you look at someone like Morales, and you look at someone like um, Lennon, and that kind of modern f- winger can now play on the left or the right, you know, whether they play out, out on their natural side and, and, and hug the touchline. But they play on the other side and cut in. Players, you know, have, um, swap in the games now. So it's going to be interesting. You know, Ross Barkley, what role does he have to play? I mean, I don't know. I mean, when he, when he, when he plays in a deeper position and he sees a lot more of the ball, he's a, he's a better player. You know, um, when he's generally just on the ball more, he's such a good player. He's such a... You know, he, in the last sort of year, he's, he's, he's almost treaded water. Hmm. And um, I think, you know, we've seen it at the beginning of the season. He scored a couple of goals. He scored for England. Okay, it was against San Marino. But <laughs> he's a lot more... He can be trusted, I think, a lot more now. He doesn't dwell on the ball and look for the perfect pass. Um, he, he's more of a... I think now what, what what's happened is in the first couple of years, he was a typical young player, always looking to score, always looking to find an assist. But now he just helps the baller and has got a lot better identifying when the killer passes on or when, when to shoot and when not to shoot. It's not perfect, but he's only young and he'll find that. And 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 I think, you know, he he this season is a lot more important to Everton than you know, last season he was in and out the side. This season I think he'll you'll find he'll play a lot more and more. And he'll play in more he'll play in different positions. He'll play off the striker, he'll play maybe deeper at times, um, but he can play all those positions because he's such a good player and um, we'll see more and more of him, I think, and he'll get better and better. And, you know, for me, he's nowhere near the finished article and when he is the finished article, I, mean, I think, you know, he'll be he'll be such an exciting player. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's one of the, yeah, he, you know, he was injured last year too at the beginning of the season. He You, yeah. felt, you felt like he never really got into a rhythm. Um uh, so one more, one more Everton question. Uh, of course, we are American, so we have a vested interest in Tim Howard. He obviously did not have a great season last year. He actually had a pretty bad season. Um, and, you know, he's been okay. He has two clean sheets. He had a good performance against Tottenham. Uh, but do you think Tim Howard is a good enough goalkeeper at this point in his career to help Everton push for uh, a, a spot in Europe? Uh- <laughs> this is a, this is a hard on this um, because yes last season um, he was he wasn't good let's be honest he wasn't yeah good. he was um, he wasn't good but and again though we've seen a bit of a Jaffel Hyde star from this season you know um, Southampton he made a really crucial save that you know kept the scores level and we go on and win the game and then against Man City he makes five or six good saves and then lets in a goal yeah near post. Oh, was, was, was ridiculous, ridiculous goal. And then against Tottenham, he goes back to you know. I, I think what, what we—it's it's mad because I think what we what we seen last season was um, we seen him make we seen him beaten by a lot of goals that should never have got it. Standard saves that you should you expect you should expect your goalkeeper to make. Um, and I think against you know you see the saves against Spurs, they're the kind of goals that he. It kind of saves he should be making as a Premier League goalkeeper and the goal he let in against Manchester City the first one that was almost like he was almost like expecting it to go one place yeah, and it went another place and I don't know whether that age catching up with him because he doesn't 
he doesn't trust his reflexes to um, to make that save. So it's it's going to be well, you know. Let's be honest. He's got four five months till the next transfer window. He is going to be Evans number one, and it's up to him to prove that he is Evans number one. He's got he's got this season and another two seasons left on his um, on his contract, and he, he he said he wants to push and and make sure he he is playing for Evans for all those seasons. If he wants to do that, he's going to have to do a hell of a lot better than he did last season. And I think he's going to have to be a lot more consistent than how he started this season. Listen, we all know Tim Howard has is been a fantastic goalkeeper. And on his day, is as good as anybody. Um, but he's going to have to do that all season. Because yeah. Everton just can't afford for him to not be at his best. Because you've seen last season someone like David De Gea playing for Manchester United. He... Effectively, I think got them fourth place with with his saves in the first half of the season. That kept that won them so many games and yeah. got them points here and there, including that Everton match. I mean, that oh was, yeah, yeah, that was yeah, incredible <laughs> against Everton Old Trafford, absolutely incredible. And that can be the difference. A good goalkeeper can be the difference. So I think you know the guy's full of confidence. You know, he's he's what you'd expect him to be. Um, but I think he'll know that this season he's got to be a lot more consistent because Roberto Martinez last season said you know around January he's looking for another goalkeeper and then put that away I think because not because of Tim Howard because of the form of Joel Robles when he stepped into the side feeling like he had a good understudy so it's going to be interesting as we move forward you know Joel Robles played against Barnsley in the uh. League Cup wasn't overly uh, convincing at all so um, yeah but Tim Howard knows the standards. He sets his own standards and he knows he's going to have to be a lot better. And look, right. he was on the bench for the USA game the other night and if he wants to get back in the side, he's going to have to uh, really, really be consistent for Everton this season. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Brad Guzan played well in that match. So I, I you know, I don't see him. That, that, that's the other thing too, though. With, with uh, Tim Howard playing for the national team, I always feel comfortable with him in there. Uh, I don't know if I can say the same thing when he's playing for Everton, at least in the last year. So, yeah. Um, all right. Well, why don't why don't we switch uh, gears to MLS? You, of course, um, are are one of the hosts of the MLS show on YouTube, which is English based, which is very which is interesting. It's really cool for us to see because uh, we obviously love to see our league grow. So, Sahil, you have some questions about MLS? Yeah. Uh, so, I was just wondering, how much do you think MLS has grown since you started covering it in terms of quality? Well, we've only really covered it this season, but yeah. I've watched it for you know I've watched it for a few years now, and, and I and I I can see you know it's going obviously in the right direction. It can it continues to get better, um, and what 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 really what really is uh, piqued my interest is this season is it's the it's the it's the players that you're not really expecting to be the top players that are for me making it such a better league. You know, you look at you look at someone like Castillo at uh, FC Dallas, you know, absolute. just, I love watching that guy, he's absolutely top class, you know, Gene Vincar at, at Toronto, um, you know, someone like Kyle Aaron at, at Orlando, yeah. you know, this is, a, you know, his rookie, he's, he's been outstanding, he's really, really, you know, um, Poku at New York, I love that guy, he's just like, he's so interested in New York City, he's like, this guy, he's just, he's brought in, you know, just a squad player, and really, if, if all things are equal, he should be keeping Lampard out the side exactly. because he's made such more of an impression. And I think that's what's been really good about um, about MLS this season is you know um, 
Legitter to at um, LA Galaxy. Um, yeah. You know, players like him have just they are they are what they are what I see as the future of, of MLS. These these players who are not not being brought in from outside as already established stars. These are people who are who are making themselves stars in the MLS and they're making other people look up and, and take notice. You know that that Dallas front four for me is is, is you know is fantastic. I really really enjoy watching them, um, and 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 the more that happens, the more we see these these players um, from outside, uh, from from inside. Sorry, MLS rather than the outside of it. The more we see those players, I, I think the stronger it can get because they're they're the foundation you build the league on. Because you know the likes of your. Gerards and your Lampards and now your Drogba, um, they're, they're only going to have a shelf life of two or three seasons. Um, but players like Barrios, you know, at Dallas, these are the players who are going to who are going to be around. And you've, if MLS have made them, and they do go into Europe, then people say, "Well, where did they come from?" They go, "Well, they came from an MLS team," and that builds the builds exactly. the brand again, and that gets. That'll get more people watching MLS because they'll be looking for the next one rather than just tuning in to see a Gerard or a Lampard or a Kaka or you know a Pirlo. That that and, and and what's great about them as well is, you know, not every star player um, DP is going to want to go and play for you know Columbus or right. Colorado or even or even someone like Sporting Kansas City. They want to be in New York. They want to be in LA. Um, and that this is this is what's great is that we're starting to see these stars appear at these other clubs, um, and and essentially they're either homegrown or they've been plucked from South America, you know, Mexico, and and that's where MLS for me is really getting bigger. Um, you know, uh, you add that to your to your star players, you know, then I, I can only see the league going one way. Right. Yeah, and you you see from the international level. Uh, you know, it's become a more legitimate league. Fabian Castillo got a call up to Colombia, um, and you know, plenty of other players too have have uh, been representing their national teams. So, uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree with everything you said. So, what's the perception of MLS like in England? Um, obviously, you mentioned uh, people coming over like Gerard Pirlo and Drogba. Has that sparked up some more interest in England? Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, I think this season it's. Um... I think this season it, it, it's helped that Lampard and Gerrard have gone at the same time and, and you know uh, playing for different teams and there's always been that sort of uh, rivalry as well between the two players one's you know one's very much a you know what was obviously very much a northern base player and one was a southern base player so you've got that split in the sort of um, how they polarise fans and also media so you know we're seeing that we're seeing you know that the, there's a new TV TV deal this week this year um, the games are getting shown more consistently at a more consistent time it's you know we're getting them at you know uh, Saturday nights and Sunday nights are, 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 are a viewable time you know whether that be 8 o'clock 9 o'clock 10 o'clock sometimes the later so all those things are helping um, one thing that helps as well it'd be this this will be a little bit alien to, to Americans is is the betting factor to it as well? Um, mm-hmm. People see the league and they see the randomness of it, and that is, you know, the the book the bucket companies love that. You know, the uh, the bookmakers love that. They love the fact that that there's a randomness to it, and uh, that helps that. So that that helps as well. All these different things, you know, help um, 
and I, I, you know, it, it's not. It hasn't been an explosion of of um, interest, but I think it's growing. I think, you know, people will switch on if they if they see a team. You know, the the obviously LA Galaxy are uh, really established here now, thanks to like David Beckham and um, New York City. That there's been the whole buzz with them because of. Um, Obviously, they're owned by the same people who own Manchester City, and with Lampard going there, and from that people get the people get the rivalries with New York, and and then we're getting other things. We're getting people are seeing the rivalries between Seattle and Portland, and are really thinking that's you know that that's that's fantastic, and um, seeing how how people. This, I think the other thing that really helps is the fans. The fans love it, and the fans create re, real real atmospheres and real rivalries, and it's not. Seen as this plastic league that was only formed, you know, 20, 19, 20 years ago, um, and that that all helps. You know, that, right. that, that whole that the, the the identity of the league is getting stronger because of all those things. So, so it's not one factor; it's all the factors. And I think, I think it will get bigger and better. I really do, and uh, and I think uh, all those parts are. Are playing into it, and I think it will be. Um, and I think personally that I think more players will go younger, and they'll they'll follow the example of Robbie Keane, and will go in the younger, and that'll help him as well. You know, listen, it's not that long ago since the Premier League was seen as the retirement. Right. You only have to go back 15, 16, 17 years, and the Premier League was seen as the retirement league for a lot of players around Europe. So, don't let the stigma of players coming over there to retire as an issue. I don't see it as an issue. You know, you know I don't see that as a problem at all. I think that, that, that just helps the league. Yeah, exactly. You know, you have to get people in the seats and players like yeah. Kaká and Drogba, they help do that. Although, you know, some would say a player like Drogba scoring a hat-trick this weekend sort of... I mean, I, I don't know if that if that's even talked about in England, but does that add to the whole retirement league narrative? If, if a player like Drogba... You know, it's his first start, and he scores a hat trick. I think it. I think it. I think it does um, from the outside. But then, anyone who's watched Chicago Fire play, <laughs> exactly, you know, exactly. That that you know, they're playing the poorest team in the league, and you know. But then, uh, anyone who knows Drogba will know that this guy is one of those people who's not who's not gone to to a, to, to sort of be as part of a time and so. Um, you know, he he obviously loves it and, and is putting everything into it. Um, Yes, some people will go. Well, that's just a retirement home. But they're not. Let's be honest. Are they the people? Yeah, we don't. That, want, we don't want them anyway. Exactly. Who, who wants them anyway? Forget about them. They'll they'll come down the line for one reason or another. If MLS keeps doing what it's doing, um, and I, I think you know, with the fact that there, there are the more teams to the league, you know, hopefully David Beckham will get his stuff sorted in Miami as well. And then you know, let's be honest. I think we all. A lot of us want to get to a point in MLS where we have two separate conferences that don't mix. Well, that's certainly what I want anyway. That don't mix till playoff time, um, and you know we we get two solid divisions, and we don't. And that will cut down on the sort of complications because people see two conferences. You know, a team plays one team three times. It plays one team one time. You know, yeah. and that that confuse that makes it confusing. Yeah. For a lot of like outside American fans, the playoff stuff I don't think worries too many people over here because they they understand how baseball works and how the NFL works and you know basketball works. Right. But it's the it, it, I think the complication comes when you start you're playing teams and you're only playing them once. And I think it'd be great if we got to 
let's say, I mean, I don't know when the first relevant place could be where you did that, whether it be 15 teams in each division. It could be less, it could be, I don't know, it could be, it could be, it could be 14 teams, whatever, and, and, and you know, we have bigger playoffs. I don't, I don't know, but I think it would be great at some point where we, we separated the two of them because the idea of New York Red Bulls or, or New York City only playing LA Galaxy when they get to the playoffs, I think that's, that's interesting to me. Yeah. That makes it more of a premier event if it does happen. Uh, I know a lot of people wanted um, LA Galaxy to play the Red Bulls when Red Bulls had Thierry Henry and had Cahill. You know, right. They wanted that, that to be the MLS Cup final. But you know, if that was to happen anywhere in the playoffs because they didn't play each other all season, that, that, that for me would spark a lot, lot of interest. So I hope that they, we get to a point. And during the season, we want real rivalries. We want local rivalries. We want the, we want the Portlands playing you know, Seattle in the season. That, that's what makes the season the season. And yeah. then the playoffs becomes something that's elevated by teams that have not played each other all season playing each other. And does the lack of uh, promotion relegation uh, affect the perception at all? Or uh, I think it does in a way that it doesn't have, have the jeopardy. With look, you know, the Americans have never had the jeopardy of relegation and what it right. does to the player and what it does to the fan and what it does to the club. Um, but at the same time, you understand MLS, you understand that. Um, maybe one day we'll have MLS one and MLS two. Exactly. Maybe that maybe that's a way of, of sorting it because adding relegation to to the mix really really messes with your head as a fan. It really does. Yeah. Um, the jeopardy because at the moment what you got is you got MLS teams playing each other, um, and if you lose you lose. But I tell you what, you add relegation to the mix, losing doesn't feel as easy when right. Um, right. when 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 there's the trap door below you. So right. it would be an interesting mix, but. It's not sort of a big American thing, so I don't think it'll ever right. come personally. Yeah, I mean, I, I love relegation, but I think financially the league is not there yet. I mean, if it, no. a team can't buy in for $100 million and then go down the next season, it doesn't really make sense. So, No, no, no. I mean, as I say, the only way that would really work is there's an MLS 1 and MLS yeah. 2. Yeah, that's an intriguing idea. I mean, I've heard that before, and I think that's I think that would be pretty cool. But we're, we're far, far, away, far away from yeah. that. Yeah, so um, let's get into more specific questions about what's going on in MLS right now. So uh, Montreal's next game is against the LA Galaxy. The Galaxy obviously the favorite in this game, but Drogba coming off the hat trick, is it possible that they can uh, pull off an upset? Yeah, because let's be honest, I mean, who would have thought that, you know, San Jose would have beat them last week? You know, it's, uh, you know, I think LA were coming off some like four, four games or something like that, winning streak, they were... You know, destroying everything in front of them, and then you know they go to San Jose, have a player sent off, and, and before you know it, you know they're getting beat one 0 So anything can happen. Montreal have done pretty well this season. You know, all three Canadian teams have done quite well. They've improved. You know, they've okay, they've just changed the coach and um, drug was come in. So yeah, of course they can. I mean, that, that's that's one of the intriguing things about MLS is that really anyone can beat anyone else. Um, LA is sitting there at the top of the Sporters Shield at the moment, and but that doesn't mean that you know they're impervious. Again, you know when when Gerard first come in, first game, fantastic, and then the, I think the week after they went to Houston and got beat. You know these things happen. It's, it's what makes MLS so appealing. So I think it'll be a really good game. You'd expect Galaxy to win, especially because they've had that week off. Um, but I think the you know throwing 
Drogba into the mix has just sort of muddied the waters a little bit. So I think this will be a really good game. I do expect LA Galaxy to win, but but I think it's not as clear cut as um, most people would think it would be. Do you think San Jose is a is a playoff team? Well, I mean they're they're, they're right there on the verge, aren't they? They're really on the cusp at the moment. Yeah. Um, I think I think um, Wondolowski was playing on wide, I think, and then yeah, you know, they put him. They put him back in the mid. They put him back in the middle now, and he seems to be, you know, seems to be doing a little bit better. So, um, I think they are possibly a playoff team, but I don't think they'll go very far in the playoffs if they do get into the playoffs. Mm. So, staying in the Western Conference, obviously Seattle had a bit of a rough summer, but they've rebounded a bit in the last two games, winning them both. Still not strong in the Concacaf Champions League, but you know they've won the last two MLS games. So, do you think they have a fair shot at making the MLS Cup final, or do they have a lot more issues than they can handle? Well, let's be honest, um, it was basically because they didn't have old Femi Martins and Clint Dempsey playing together. <laughs> exactly. Um, and that would be the worry if they didn't have them. But I think if they keep them too, they've got as good a chance um, as anyone because they score goals and they create goals as a partnership. And I think behind them, they're quite solid. And I think if you keep them two playing, you know, old Femi Martins has bad injury problems. Uh, Clint Dempsey's obviously had the Gold Cup, he's had suspension issues, I think he's had a couple of injury problems of, of his own, so you would think that everything that could have gone against him has gone against him, so if they can have a period now where they push on, you know, it's 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 the be- you know, this is the best time now they're, they're in the playoff positions they um, can no- will only really get better I think and if they peak at the right time then they've got a great chance I mean that's, that's what, really that's what it's all about it's about peaking at the right time. I mean, LA Galaxy started the season quite slowly. Gerard come in, give them give them a little bit of. Uh, Robbie Keane, sorry, before Gerard came in, had been out injured. He came back, then then Stephen Gerard came in, and both times they got a little bit of a bump from it. And now they're a settled team. Um, they've got the Santos in there, so that shows from their point of view that they've peaked perfectly. And if Seattle can do the, the same thing, then who knows where they can go? I mean, you know, once you get into that playoff game. You know, it's you know, it, it, it's that home away advantage, and it, it'd be interesting because I know Seattle for the last few years have, have had to play at LA, and they've had to overcome them and just couldn't get past them. So that will be an interesting, um, interesting couple of games if that happens again. Uh, so who do you, who do you think is uh, going to win the? Who do you think is the favorite to win MLS Cup at this point? Uh, I think it's, you'd have to say LA Galaxy just because. Robbie Keane is a proven goal scorer. Um, he's the most consistent goal scorer in, in, in MLS. You've got Gerard, who has settled in really well. I think. I think you know. I think he's found it tough at places like Houston with that. You know the heat. I think he found it hard um, Colorado with the altitude. So I think he's he's adapting all the time. But certainly at home games in LA, he he seems to be on form. So you've got to say it's got to be the, it was. It would be them. Dos Santos has come in and hasn't really unsettled the team. And then they've got players like, you know, Alan Gordon coming off the bench. Um, you know, so they've got everything you really need. Um, I'm not so sure about Donovan Ricketts, but um, you know, I think yeah, he's probably their weakest. I think he's probably their weakest link. But but I think they've got everything. So at the moment, you'd have to fancy them because they've got players who've been there, and done it before, especially in in Robbie Keane when it comes to playoff time and you know you, you see these other teams knocking about the likes of DC and 
DC are flying in the East, but when it comes to playoff time, will they have the experience? Will they have the the, the tools you need to to get you that MLS trophy? I'm not so sure. Um, so at the moment, I said I'd say LA. So, like, do you think whoever comes out of the West is pretty much going to win the cup? I mean, that's the general. Consensus. That's the general feeling, but but it's it's a difficult one. I mean, I mean, my my team is Sporting Kansas. And if you'd asked me this question three weeks ago, I would have said Sport Kansas have got a really good chance. But they just um, they've just fallen to bits, right. quite literally. You know, they, they just don't have the squad. I think it was something like five games in fifteen days, something ridiculous like that. You know, they obviously um, had the game against Real Salt Lake in the the uh, the Open Cup and got through, and then yeah. um, you know they, they they came back, you know, amazingly to win four three. Um, <laughs> in a game, um, and they then the next game, San Jose come and beat them five 0 and they just they just didn't have anything. You know, they they went away to uh, I think it was Columbus, took the lead, ended up getting beat. You know, got beat in the last game as well after being ahead. They just don't seem to have the stamina, and I think that's where um, some of the teams on the East seem to be suffering because I don't know whether there's enough good teams on the East to push each other I think that's one of the biggest problems at the moment yeah but I, I think LA have certainly got the squad that it's going to enable them to you know go go quite far yeah I mean as you said DC is playing very well I think the only team that really has a shot are the Red Bulls because they're flying as well yeah um, yeah and also about a sport in Kansas City they they really just play through Fellhaber who's obviously a fantastic player uh, but I mean you can't rely on him for a whole season to play like he has so um who who's your is a fail your MVP for this year? Who who do you think is the MVP? Um, yeah, fail has been fantastic. Obviously, he's taken he's taken over the the, the he's taken sort of a lot of responsibility off Zuzi, mm-hmm. um, and I think you know he's he's been he's been amazing this season. I think um, I'm trying, I think it was the game against Real Salt Lake City where you know he was on the bench and then he came off the bench and scored within about five minutes. You know he's he's been outstanding. Um, yeah, I think I think he'll go quite close. I think though, you know, you know Dallas Castillo, yeah, it's um, been amazing as well. Um, you know, he, he, you know, I think to be honest, Jim Van yeah. at, at Toronto has just been he's been out of this world. Let's yeah. be honest. I mean, there's some of the goals he scored. I mean, I would never want to say that a player is too good for MLS. I'd rather say it's a, it's amazing to have a player like him at his, at his peak exactly. and do what he's doing. And that's that's a fantastic. And people said when he came to MLS that he couldn't get in the Italy squad and he kissed his international career goodbye. Well, he hasn't. It's been yeah. proven. He got called off for the squad. He's, he's been so good. His goals are so good. He scores so many different ways. So I think he would probably be, you know, I think he really should be, definitely be. Um, you know, he's drove Toronto on at times when they've had nothing else. So for me, I think he would be the MVP. But, you know, I think it's great that there's so many different other players and those players aren't um, these DPs with shiny big contracts. I think it's great that the likes of Pirlo and the likes of... I know Pirlo's only been here for like a month. But we're not, we don't have to look at those players and say, that's what MLS is all about. It's great to have these other players. You know, even you look at... You know, you even look at... Someone like at the crew, you look at you no know, Finley. Oh. You know, you look at players like him. You know, yeah. you, and you think to yourself, those guys are are, are really 
have, have done fantastic, fantastically this season. With, you know, they don't. You know, Columbus Crew have had a great season and, and can still win the East. You know, without being, without having any these major stars playing for them or people that we think are major stars. And I think that's where MLS for me has jumped up a notch this season. They really have. It's really gone mm-hmm. up a notch because, we're, like I said before, we're not. Look, we're not. It's not dictated by players on massive contracts. Right. Uh, who are who are these DPs? And I think I think MLS as a league it's helped this season. You know this this new rule that they brought in um, the the extra lot of money has really helped. You know I know a lot of people have said well that was like for, so LA could sign De Santos, but when that happened, you've seen. You've seen Portland going by in place. You've seen right. Seattle going by buying place. You've seen, I think, even Philadelphia Union went out and got more players with that. You know, you've seen other players dropping down in the pecking order. Um, New York, I think, the Red Bulls went on both players. You've seen players being pushed down who are no longer DPs to allow clubs to go and get better players. And they weren't all these shiny 30-somethings from Europe. They went out and they really did the homework and... And maybe some of them won't really push on this season, but next season they will be, will and hopefully will become um, your Castillos, you know. And and that that for me is a big thing because Europe will come calling for some of these players, but it's great that we will have ready-made replacements for when those players move on. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I'd love to see Jovinko play for, for for Everton. I mean, I think he could get into the squad for sure. Well, Barry, who does um, my partner on the MLS show, he wants uh, Lee Wynn from. Yeah, from I think the, uh, I think I saw. He, so. he, he, he yeah. loves him. He loves him to He wants him to come play for Everton. He thinks he could. Uh, he could leave. He could leave New England Revolution and come and play for us. So um, <laughs> there's definitely talent. I mean, he's he's he he's a number ten. So I mean, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. For the life of me, I don't. I can't understand how players like Wynn and. Let Jet, like you said, and Finley can't get into the U.S. national team because I mean, uh, it does no, not make sense to me at all. No, Jürgen's got his favourites. Uh, who am I yeah. to argue with the man? But uh, <laughs> I, I think personally, I think that's going to be that's going to be the death of Jürgen Klinsmann. Yeah, I, I really do. I think uh, you, you, the U.S. soccer community for me is like no other no other community because it is a community. It doesn't yeah. rely or can't rely on all these other factors like the press and um, it can't rely on the press and it can't rely on um, other fans it's it's it's, whole, it's it's a whole and and at some point if those voices start getting louder they will force Jürgen Klinsmann either out of a job or to make decisions and start the moment he doesn't want to make yeah. um, he's getting quite defensive about those decisions but I yeah. think it'll come to a point where where he will have to start making those decisions whether he likes it or not I know he doesn't like the fact that these players have come back from Europe Michael Bradley and Clint Dempsey are back in MLS but at some point he's going to have to start looking at these players and really should have looked at them especially in the Gold Cup yeah. you know the Gold Cup's the Gold Cup's a joke I don't care what anyone says the Gold <laughs> Cup's a joke it is though it's a joke no, 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 for, me, for me if I was if I was uh, if I was the US national team uh, the people who run it I'd do what Australia did and I'd get out because I just don't think CONCACAF has got anything that to offer, and I know it's an easy way into the World Cup, but um, and maybe that's the difference between between Australia and America, where Australia had to go through the playoff. But it's a joke. They've got Mexico, but so what? One game. What yeah. what does that do? They, they took their eye off the ball this summer um, and thought they could stroll past teams like Jamaica 
and, and, and ended up losing in the semi-final. And that could be the death of them. I think what's, what really what, what, what will help the United States going forward um, is the fact that South America is so... Wants the US dollar so much. Yeah, they do. And I, I, you know, we know we, the Copa America is going to be next year, and I think we'll see more and more of that of Copa America's to America because, as the Gold Cup has proved, you can have a game that doesn't have America in it and sell out easily. Yeah. You know, we've got the America has got so many different communities in it, and it would be the same with South America. You could have games all over America, and you would have sell out to all of those communities. It wouldn't be an issue. Um, and I, I think you'll see that more and more. So that might be, mean that the con, it might mean that America can stay in in uh, Concacaf. But what it, hopefully, what I'm hoping is that the Gold Cup become less reliant on the Gold Cup and start maybe playing some of these players and maybe have it like an MLS 11 in the Gold Cup. And maybe that'll help these other players and maybe that'll push them on for the World Cup uh, spots. Because at the moment it just seems it just I don't know it it doesn't seem to make any sense. He's leaving out really really talented MLS players, and what does that say to MLS players coming through? Yeah. You know, what does that say to the league? Does that say the top players have to go to Europe to become part of the national squad? It shouldn't, but it seems that's the way it is at the moment. Yeah, and you know, Concacaf is getting is getting better, but the type of the type of football you play in Concacaf is not necessarily conducive to development, or you you can't really play. The type of style maybe Jurgen wants to play uh, in the Gold Cup, it just isn't going to work. So I don't know. It's it's a difficult situation because uh, you know if you if you join Comnibol, uh, which would obviously probably do wonders for U.S. soccer, but you know there's just a lot of issues with that. I, I, I don't know. It's a difficult it's a difficult situation. Yeah, it is. I think I think the simplest thing would be, um, as I said, the Copper America probably get played maybe. Every right. couple of years in America, and I think that might, you know, I think that might help. I think that might help. And if the Gold Cup is seen as maybe, as I say, maybe uh, not, it, it is a lesser tournament. Uh, I, I, get, I, I can't believe. I know, I know it's, I know it's the tournament. I know it's the tournament America has been guaranteed to win over the last few years. But that's not. That doesn't mean it's good. That right. doesn't mean that that if you're playing below your standard and you're, you're taking so much pleasure and. In winning it, I don't think that's a good thing. I really don't. You've got to better yourself. You've got to push on. Um, America has got everything it needs to become one of the big, the big nations in the world. But I think it undersells itself at times. I think it's happy to be seen as an underdog. Where now and again, it's got to puff out its chest and go, "Look at what we've got. Look at our facilities. Look at the money we can put into the sport. We've got a fan base as good as anybody." We, we need to start pushing on. Right. Start stop thinking of yourselves as this like little nation. You're not a little nation. You're not. And and I think once American fans start start realizing that, then they 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 their um, expectations will grow. And with right. expectations becomes comes pressure. And when pressure is put on coaches and players, that will make them sink or swim. And listen, if they if they sink, good. Did not they're not good enough. You know that that that's a big thing, and I tell you what, I tell you one thing that America's got going for it. It doesn't have the press dictating what it yeah. wants. That's a problem we have in England. We have the press dictating what they want, and that is to the detriment of the team. You you don't have that in America, and that will really 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 help. Um, and, and, and for me, you know, you only have to look at the World Cups. America take more fans than anybody, yeah. so it proves they're as big a football nation or soccer nation as anybody else. 
so so please stop taking the Gold Cup so seriously because because some of the teams are ridiculous. I think you know I I don't see the point in some of them games. They just they just they're not they're not strong enough opposition. Um, yeah. And this summer proves to me that America has took its eye off the ball and and started getting like you know just the standards dropped and it proved it. Yeah, and and you know what I would like to see is maybe the Gold Cup happen every four years and like you said have an MLS eleven. And then have this Copa America a joint a joint competition every four years yeah. as well because I mean yeah. first of all the money Definitely. the money is there so it, they should do it I mean they should want to do it um, but yeah I mean yeah you you brought us some very very interesting points you know it's yeah it's always good to have that outside perspective because we you're right we are very we like the Gold Cup because we win it and yeah, we, exactly. we we yeah and we act like a small country but you know hopefully some of these players like. Emerson Hyndman for Fulham or Gideon Zalala pan out, but you can't rely on three three youth players around the world to you know make yeah. you a top think, nation. So we 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 could have in this country we could have the home nations, which used to be we used to have in the um, in the seventies and the early eighties, which was all the home nations playing against each other. We we England would would I would say England would comfortably win it now, um, but it, it's like what's the point? You know, yeah. what, what's the point? You've got bigger fish to fry. We all play a similar style, so you don't learn anything from playing those teams. And at the end of the day, there's no sort of no prestige in it. And I don't think there's any prestige in America winning the Gold Cup. You know, Nike can go and print a few nice new T-shirts to sell with a couple of extra stars on it. But it's nothing. It's right. nothing. The women have set the standard. The World Cup's the thing you don't want to go and win. Um, back that. Do that. Push that. Don't be happy with the quarterfinals in the World Cup. Want more? Demand more? Demand more from Jurgen Klinsmann and the players. Um, that's what will make America a great nation in in soccer. Not by winning the Gold Cup. Gold Cup is just for me. It's just nothing. It's, it's nothing. Yeah. Mm. Obviously, a huge part of the growth of American soccer is Landon Donovan. He went on two loan spells with Everton, and he identifies himself as an Evertonian for life. So, how do the Everton fans uh, view Landon Donovan? Uh, well, I'm sitting here in a room, and I've got I've got uh, a Landon Donovan signed Everton shirt on my wall. So um, I think that can tells you everything you need to know about the guy from my point of view. I think I, I'm I'm desperately desperately disappointed that we never signed him on a permanent deal. Um, I think I think we should have got him. I think we should have signed him um, when his MLS con- contract ended. I think um, it was very very short sighted by Everton. Um, to not get him when right. the growth the growth of the game is so big over there to have the number one star the attention that attracts not only from the press but by fans it gives you a bigger fan base in one of the biggest um, growing um, you know nations when soccer's involved and I also think the player wants to come and I think I, I you know I, I I I tend to think that maybe push them into retirement the fact that he had the one big chance to come and play in the Premier League. It didn't happen, and Jenny just probably just felt, well, I've got nothing else to prove in the game, um, and you know yeah. that he, you know, I, I, he's, he's seen as for me, you know, a lot of fans see him. Uh, I know he only came on a couple of loan spells, but the fans love the fact that he, you know, he sees himself as an Evertonian. That he, he always, you know, he's tweeting about Everton. And, yeah. uh, he says he's going to come back over and come to games and. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I was very lucky because I got an interview with him um, on my on my 
my podcast, The Follettonians, uh, me and Eric got, a, got an interview with him when he was in his in-between year, and it was describing why he wasn't coming back, and it was a massive interview for us, and you know we pestered him on Twitter and got a lot of people to pest him, and he, he did the interview with him with us. He didn't have to, but he said he would, and he gave us a bit of an exclusive to why he wasn't coming back and why he, you know, he's feeling the burnout of so much football. And um, I will forever be grateful for him for that, and, and that to me put him, you know, put him on a higher level than a lot of players because he did that. And I think that's all a lot of, a lot of Everton fans see him. He yeah. come over, he, he uh, you know, he took Everton to his heart. Did his best. We've seen that every single game, and he could do it. He could play yeah. in the Premier League, and I think that's what's so disappointing is that we missed out on such a really, really talented player, um, maybe for a few million pounds because of his age. And I, I think that was a very short-sighted thing to, for Everton to do. Um, and I'd still have him now, actually. Uh, <laughs> I'd still love to have an Everton, yeah. some Everton shirts with his name on the back, just getting sold in the states. That would. Uh, I think that would uh, that would sell a lot more shirts in America right. for Evan. So, yeah, I think he's so he's really really high regarded at Evan, and, and and will continue to be. Yeah, I mean that's you know I I was, I mean players like him and Tim Cahill really really made me fall in love with the club too. They're just so invested in the club. So, I I I mean. I, I I really wish, like you said, he 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 ended up playing for Everton because, like you said, he he played well. He was he was yeah, he, tur- yeah. he turned the season around, um, and I mean not single handedly, but he helped. Um, and yeah, it's disappointing. And you know, maybe if he went over to Everton, Jurgen would have called him up for the World Cup, which was ridiculous. So <laughs> that he didn't make it. Yeah, World yeah, Cup yeah, last year. yeah, yeah. I think yeah, obviously that that was part of the one of the reasons. You know, um. um I don't know. I mean, he obviously had that. He had the spell where he sort of left the sport for a few months and right. got his, to get his head back. I, I just think that I, I feel that the move was would be perfect for everyone. All right, thank you for Peter for coming on. You can check him out on the Blue Room. He also does the Fallotonians podcast on YouTube. He's at Toffee TV and the MLS show, so he does a lot there. Check it all out. And uh, thank you for coming on, Peter. Uh, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Great to talk to you. Great to talk to you too. Thank you. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed the interview. We thought we had a great conversation with him. So, Yeah, it was a good conversation, especially the end part about CONCACAF there. Uh, let us know what you guys think. Sahel, tell them where to contact us. You can contact us at SoccerBrothersPodcast at gmail.com. We also have a Twitter for this podcast. It's at SoccerBrosPod. My brother's uh, Twitter's at BigTimeBrownie. Mine's at ASR underscore Sahel. Uh, leave a comment on SoundCloud. You can leave a review on iTunes. Yep, uh, thank you to Peter for being our guest. Our next guest should be on in the next few weeks. Um, also, if you guys haven't noticed, if you're on iTunes and you're not on your phone, you're actually on your computer, uh, we have actually changed our logo because our picture was not very good, so we wanted to change our logo. Um, so if you go to SoundCloud, you can see the new logo. It's also there on Twitter um, and on your app. If you if you have the podcast app, the logo should have changed by now. Um so uh, I want to just give out a shout-out to our friend Sue McBanerjee, who did a fantastic job on the logo. Uh, he, he's really something special. So um, <laughs> it's an inside joke. Um, so thank you to him. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll see you all next time. <laughs> <laughs>